it's so fun that this is sort of like a great mix of uh, local and out of town. You know, it's fun to see. I just love the community that that is. So if you're not from here and you live here just part of the year, even if it's only a weekend, we're so thankful that you're here. Just feel at home. Uh, I know some of y'all looking around are leaving soon. And we're, that's a bummer because we loved having you here for the summer. But uh, it's just a treasure to be together. I just, ah, man, this is good. I, I like this a lot. Uh, you guys in the very back, hey, how's it going? Uh, we got two services made. We're right on the borderline here for two in the fall. So we'll see what happens next year. Um, if y'all come back, maybe we'll do another one. A second. Uh, so, uh, man, a lot of uh, good things happen in our valley, and a lot of the tough things. It's, when you're here, you're kind of isolated. We then you hear about the tragedies that we've been experiencing in Jemison with these children. You know, losing, that many children losing hope is, uh, is, a, is a tragedy. It's horrible. You know, it just breaks your heart. Enough. All the stories that we know and hear, I, I don't want to start out on a hard note. I, honestly, I... I uh, this whole thing with the refugees in Europe coming across is, we're, we're so isolated from here, it's hard to imagine that you want to get away from your country so bad that you get on a boat and you've never been on And get on with, until it's so packed, you know? How do the people in Europe deal with it? How would we feel if we were being, you know, more or less invaded, you know? And then this truck full of people that's suffocating. I mean, that's the most, that's the nightmare I can't get away from. Personally, I hate that. It's just a hard things happen in our world. Uh, we need to be in touch with that. But um, let's just uh, we just need to be remembering those things and not uh, we, we have the privilege of being here and then having the community of folks who are seeking after Christ and then going back out into those places. And so hopefully we can bring hope and mercy and love and grace of God into the hurting world. Right now we have a moment of peace together, so let's take a deep breath and we can enjoy that. Um, I, uh, uh, well, this is last week, it seems like longer, I went on a little uh, fishing trip. And since we're talking about Jonah today, I thought it might be appropriate to start with something like that. Um, do you remember, if you were here a week and a half ago, there were two weeks, let's see, it was maybe last Sunday, Monday, there was a big storm, like a big lightning storm. Well, you can probably figure that Scott's camping when there's a lightning storm. Or it's raining. It's going to rain on my day that I plan. But I went up uh, to Peeler Lakes under Scarf's Ridge up there. Some of you are familiar with that. And Scarf Ridge is just this big wall, you know, of rock. And so I was asleep in the middle of the night. I just totally jumped out of my sleeping bag because of thunder and stuff. And the, it was amazing because the thunder was like, Bouncing off that wall, you know, so we could, you know, a whole lot of tarp, and it's totally squishing back and sleeting and stuff, and then it did it again the next night. It's crazy. But the fishing was great. Um, so, if you ever want to go camping in the rain, just talk to me and I'll help. <laughs> but no, really, we uh, we're uh, in a series on. Following the calling that God lays out. And this is so, there's a general sense to it and there's a very specific sense to it. And so when, when we're, we're talking about God moving us forward and calling us, there is no time in which God is not 
dealing with us individually and pulling us forward spiritually towards him. And it just looks different for all of us, whether you know him or don't, or you've been a believer for your whole life. There is a process in which he is improving you for his glory, for what he is doing. And so I want to just encourage you as I'm talking, we just need to completely leave where we are. Just We need to be seeing what is God calling me to. Okay? He's calling us as a group, but he's also calling us as individuals. And so we've been looking at these stories from the scripture. We've looked at several women and several different men. But uh, today we're going to look at the, the life of this guy, Jonah. So if you want to flip open there, Jonah's in the Bible prophets. It's towards the end uh, of your Old Testament Hebrew scripture. And if you know about Jonah, then you might be expecting me to say, well, what you're calling in is what God's calling us to do is to leave what we're comfortable with and go tell people we don't like about God. That's not what I'm going to say. Now actually, although that specifically is what God calls Jonah to do, I think the bigger calling was a much deeper thing. There was something else going on there. Uh, there's There's a very specific thing that's happening with this guy named Jonah. And there's a, a much bigger picture of calling what's happening with this, pe- this group of people who does not know about the one true God who's living in wickedness and evil, um, who, who, who these people collectively are transformed. There's a, a small story and a big story, but it's all told through, through the, the narrative of Jonah. And God does come in and say, I need you, Jonah, to be obedient to me. And then, as you know, Jonah's like, Forget you, I'm going this way. Right? And, and eventually, Jonah ends up where God wanted him to be. But what we're, we're not talking about obedience today. We're not talking about God saying, I need you to do something. Be obedient to this now. That, that deeper thing is this. I think that Jonah was called to embrace the mercy of God. So he was called to do something specific, but what was really happening is that he was called to step to a new level of understanding, of engaging with, of owning the mercy of God for himself and for others. Are you with me there? I'm going to try to explain a little bit more of what I mean. Jonah resisted that. He resisted experiencing the mercy of God and sharing it with other people. And what I want to say to you today, to myself, especially, this has really resonated with me personally, is that there is a a place for mercy in our lives that we reject. And I I, I want to see if we can learn from from Jonah to step a little further over that threshold towards mercy in 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 every aspect of our life. And mercy is always related to relationships. So in the relationships we have, this concept of mercy. But let's look at the story for a minute. So we're in Jonah. Jonah's really a very short book in Hebrew Scripture. So we're going to start, I'm going to skip over a few passages, but we're just going to go through it. Uh, so we're in Jonah 1, we're starting at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So God speaks directly to Jonah. Jonah is a prophet of God. God interacts with these people in a very specific way. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, which was a 
long way away. From, away from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into the boat to go to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And the author wants to emphasize, he's thinking he's going to go away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break up. So then, Jonah seems to have gotten pretty comfortable with his decision to leave and to try to escape the presence of God because he's asleep in the hold of the boat. And they come and find him in the storm and they're like, what are you doing? Get up here and help us. Perhaps is this your fault? And, and Jonah said, yeah, it is. Uh, in the presence, he says, okay. uh, He says to them, this is verse 12, so skip ahead to verse 12. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. They didn't want to throw him overboard. But they couldn't, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Eventually, they throw him over, you know the story. He is somehow preserved by God, right, in this fish. And then uh, then he's... he's uh, he receives a second chance, I guess, if you will. This is chapter 3, so I'll skip up to 3. 3 1. And the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose up and he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. This the city was actually a much bigger area than someone you're walking. Uh, it's a giant place with lots and lots of people, is the idea. Uh, and Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out these words that God had given him. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least and when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil, God relented the disaster that he had, that he had said he would do, and he did not do. But Jonah was exceedingly displeased, and he was angry. It's so funny how successful Jonah was. You know, he's, I do not want to do this, and he probably was enjoying telling them that you're going to die. And then they all, they repent. And I was just so mad. <laughs> but this is, and that's what he says. He says, and, and he prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my own country? This, this actually isn't recorded earlier. This is some conversation that he and God have had together. Uh, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In relenting from disaster. I knew you were going to do this. Therefore, please take my life from me. It's better that I die than that I live. And the Lord said, Are you doing well to be angry? <laughs> so, to wrap up the story, Jonah's just so mad. God still wants him to interact with the people, so he's camped out in this little hot spot on this ledge or something. And so, God provides overnight this, this miraculous thing. This, uh, this vine grows up over him to protect him. And then the next day he dies. And Jonah's really mad now. 
Okay, he's just super mad at God. He says, just let me die. If you scoot up to 14, 410, right at the end. And the Lord said, you pity that plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being at night and perished at night, just one day. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't know the right hand from the left and many cattle? In other words, you have great concern over this one thing. This one thing that grew in one day. These are people. These are people that I love. So, here's the thing. Jonah does not embrace the mercy of God. This is the thing that's missing with him. And I just want to encourage you to, to really be talking to God now about your life, my life, I need to do the same thing. God, am I embracing the mercy that is wrapped up in who you are? So, three things. Uh, one, the first one is to embrace the mercy of God, like who He is in that. And the second is to express that mercy to other people. Express the mercy of God to other people. Three E's here embrace, express, and the third one is to experience His mercy personally. And the thing I want to say the most about is, I think this morning, is embracing the mercy of God. Understand it and own it and see how it changes us from the inside. Look at what he says in 4.2. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? That's why I wanted to go to Tarshish, because I knew that you were gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So that you relent from disaster. I think mercy is a great heading for all of those things that are who he describes God to be. And this idea of who God is has been shown throughout the scripture to this point. This is who he is. He's gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relents from disaster. And when I when I say that to you all, most of you who are on decent terms with God are like, yeah, good. Okay, Scott. Great point. Let's move on. You know, that's, it doesn't like it's not so earth shattering to us. But I, what I want to do is ask you to go a little, a little bit deeper here as we think. And I, I wish I was enough of an intellectual to draw us into that place to get to get us to get a grip on how important it is to understand God's mercy. But, but let's try for just a moment. Uh, one thing is that mercy is something that can be legally dispensed, like from a judge. A judge can show mercy. Like, Lisa, you did this. We're going to show mercy on you. It's your first offense. You can go. Right? So it's a, a, it can be a very simple thing, uh, unemotional thing. It's a thing where people are not engaged in it with their hearts. It's just mercy. It's just shown. It's decided. Now, mercy can be much deeper than that. But when it is, it's empowered by grace. Okay? Grace is something that you can't deserve. And grace is something that costs another person to make up for what you couldn't deserve. You see what I'm saying? Like, uh, let me give you a quick example. Like, this whole thing with the, the shootings at the church uh, in South Carolina, right? They're in a Bible study, a guy comes in there and, and shoots all of the people. Okay? And, you know, just an <coughs> unbelievable thing. And then, you know, I've been reading about this, you know, regularly in the news. 
And then I see this, uh, this is right, right after it happened, this family came along and said, hey, we forgive this guy. Outright. We just forgive him. I don't know if y'all saw that, and that happens from time to time in these tragedies. But I was reading BBC News about something that happened in America, and they picked up on this family who just said, we forgive you completely. You see, the cost of that forgiveness didn't fall on the guy who did it. It fell on them. Okay? Grace is what they offered him. He did not ask for it. I think he pled not guilty. Right? Did I miss that? I think he did plead not guilty. So, he's, for them to extend forgiveness to him was to extend grace at their own cost. You see? It wasn't a legal thing where they say, oh, your sentence is reduced, or we're not going to put you to death, or something like that. It was This is a different kind of offer. It comes at the cost of someone. So that's, it, and that's what it is, if we want to skip ahead of it, because we can see that God provides the life of Christ for us, even though we did not deserve it. And that he expressed his mercy, expressed the ruling of mercy for us, by giving us grace, the incredible cost to his own and to himself to make it possible for us to be right with him. So this is this is who this God is. He, he says, you, you have you're all mercy, you're full of grace. You're steadfast in love and slow to anger. That, that idea of his steadfast love and, and <coughs> patience about anger is so important. And we, we miss the steadfastness of God is something as a Western society that we just accept. Okay? It doesn't matter really how far away we are from God. It's built into our um, cultural DNA to understand that whatever power is out there is consistent and benevolent. But that is not true around the world. And that is not true when we look at what the way other gods, if you will, are describing as. See, his consistency is something that we absolutely rely on, that he is not going to change from day to day. And that consistency is meted out in love. Right? If you, if you think about that for a second, in contrast to everything you know about what you see in the world, what you hear about other religions or other ways to find something deeper, think about the incredible contrast that that is. He is not capricious. He doesn't take bribes. He doesn't change on a whim. See, as, as people who are seeking after God, we have got to know who He is. Who He says He is. It, it's not about... Like, there's this thing we love to do. It's a syncretism. We just bring in different aspects of the things that we like about different religions. Okay, Even if we're Christians, we like to do that. We kind of say, well, I don't like how God did that. I like more how this is. You know, we just adjust God for our own uh, well-being. But the thing is, it's, it's, we need to understand who he truly is. And I love the synopsis that we get right here from, from Jonah. Actually, actually, Jonah's holiness from Scripture. But here, here's the, the deeper thing that I want to share with you on this. Think about this. Mercy can only exist where there is right and wrong. This is, this is huge. 
Because there, if there is no right and wrong, if there is no standard, if there is nothing that is holy and above everything else and absolutely right, then there is no such thing as mercy because there is no standard. Mercy has no meaning if it's not set against something that, that requires mercy to be given. I wish I could draw you in to, to, to the point where I, I feel like I'm on this little this ledge of trying to, to get a grasp on what that means for us. When we say that God has mercy in Christ, it doesn't mean that he's soft, but that he's letting things go. Right? It doesn't mean that there's not a standard, there's not something that is right. What he's saying is that I'm willing to pay the penalty to make things right. And that's unbelievable. It's, it's, uh, it's powerful. Uh, I, you know, wherever you are spiritually, I just want to encourage you to try to dig deep with God in that thing. That consistency, that steadfast love that is who He is and who the Bible claims that He is. And compare that to whatever else you want to compare it to and see what you come up with. We need to be honest intellectually. I think this is a great way to direct us to the one true God. And let me throw out just this idea. What if God was, what if we had the opposite God? What if he was capricious and vindictive and mean and he never knew what was going to happen? There was no standard of right. He wasn't holy. He is not holy. Let's say it was that one. What would it be like? It would be chaos and anarchy all the time. And I think we can see that play out as we look across how evil presents itself. He is not capricious. Okay, we'll leave that So we need to embrace the mercy of God, understand who he is, so that it has such an impact on us that we then, in turn, express that mercy to other people. So Jonah is a guy who, uh, he absolutely rejects this. He does not want to show mercy to these people. Have you ever had the feeling of not really feeling like showing mercy? Today, or maybe this morning, I don't know, some of us. Um, He goes to extreme lengths to avoid showing mercy, or to express the mercy of God. He doesn't have to show it. In fact, when he tells them, you know, like I said, he probably is like, you're going to die. You know, I'm just telling you, you know, the sense of mercy is probably not in the the graceful heart of, of Jonah when he's communicating. But in his process to run, I mean, think about what he does. He, he says, I'm actually going to leave the presence of God. Now, that's something that's a dumb thing to think. Okay, so just, yeah. Don't, we're talking about an omission on the present. You know, we don't run from God, but he somehow deludes himself and thinks he's going to do that and says he goes to Tarshish. And I love it. it. It actually takes the time in this really short book to say, and he bought a ticket. You know, can you imagine, like, what's going on in his mind when he's buying, he's paying for the ticket, how are we paying? I don't care what it's But he swipes his card in the he's, he's buying a ticket to get away from God. You know, this very volitional thing. And I think we, we all tend to, and he's so set on it, he just gets in the boat and he goes to sleep. He just, he's so tired in the process. He's leaving God. Probably all of us, even maybe, maybe now, have experienced that. I'm buying a ticket, I'm out. You know? But he's doing this to avoid 
this mercy that God's called him to. He's just absolutely rejecting it. He gets on the boat. He even suggests, this is his last-ditch effort to avoid going to Nineveh. Throw me overboard because I'm sure I'm going to die. Right? He didn't know if something was going to happen. He's like, this will make sure. I will not be in Nineveh. I will be dead. Right? He kind of, if you read the story, he has kind of his death, which I'd rather die. But he says it three or four times. He is, he is struggling with the idea of expressing this mercy. I was confronted uh, recently with a situation in my life where there is a person who has, who I, to speak transparent with you, do not wish to show mercy to. Okay? It's the opposite. It's been a hard thing. It's been this thing in my side. And um, my daughter and I, we both really like um, Victor Hugo's book, Lame uh, Is. Some of y'all have seen that. Um, one of the most powerful scenes is, is near the beginning. Jean Valjean, you know, the main character, if you're familiar with the story, um, he's just decrepit. He's just gotten out of prison. He has no chance, no hope. The whole society is built on oppression of people like him. He, find, he tries to find uh, someone to show him mercy, and no one does. And he finally falls, uh, he finally heads to the home of the, the bishop. And he knocks on the door and he pleads for just a food and a place to sleep. And so the, the bishop says, Yeah. She brings him in. He's just desperate. He has this whole uh, experience with God. If, if you, I don't know which version of this you've read or seen, but um, it was distressing for me in a way that just seemed like you were a Wolverine singing, you know, impassioned, you know, really sad song. For those of you guys who know what I'm talking about, here's your feelings. Um, but that's how they portray it. But he's desperate. He, he thinks there's no way out of here. He sees these silver plates. He's like, I'm just going to steal these and leave. He does. He, he's out the door. He's running. The next morning, uh, he's caught with these plates. And the, uh, the police catch him. And they're like, God, you, you are, you're going back to prison. He's got a tattoo that shows that he's uh, a convict. And they bring him back to the door of the, uh, of the bishop. And I love this. I, I, Really, I don't think it does it justice, but just because I like it so much, he's going to flip over here. They bring him, and they're like, it says there's three guards, and they're holding him by his collar, you know, just hanging, just decrepit. His life is over in his mind. And as soon as they show him, as soon as he sees Jean Valjean, he, he puts it all together and knows what happened. This is what he thinks. He goes, ah, there you are, he said, looking at Jean Valjean. I'm glad to see you. But I gave you two candlesticks also, which are silver like the rest. It would bring 200 friends. Why didn't you take them along with your plates? And Jean Valjean opened his eyes and looked at the bishop with an expression which no human tongue can describe. Can you, you know, I love that scene. You know, without even thinking, he says, oh, here's what you forgot. He goes the extra mile at his own cost, right? He gives him grace and mercy. And this absolutely resonates with me because of this, in one section of my life, this, this person who I need to show mercy to. Who am I to withhold mercy? Really, 
And I, I'm thinking, well, if I could show mercy in that kind of grace to, to my wife and to my kids, to my, my dear friends, to people I don't like, to my community, what would their expression be like? You know, if they got that from me as a believer, and they knew that's why, you know, that would be powerful. Oh, no, no, you forgot that there was more for me. So we need to, uh, I think, not only embrace who God is in his mercy, we need to express that mercy <coughs> Not do the thing that Jones do. And if we are running from showing mercy, consider turning back. And finally, uh, to experience his mercy personally. Uh, see, there's some of us, and probably many of us, that think we don't need mercy, and we're doing pretty well. And we build, so a lot of us are really independent people. And I've often said, if you get to this end of the valley, if you're someone who can get here, you are someone who has somewhat been self-made. You have the ability to do things that you decide you want to do. And I think that's probably true of everybody in this room. And so we build this shell around us of, I can do it. I don't need mercy. Because I'm doing pretty good. So we, we, what, what that does is it builds this impenetrable wall around us, between us and other people. Because we're not experiencing the mercy of God. We have to experience it to share it. And that's the thing. You and I can't do anything to get that mercy. Uh, and, then, and then there's the flip side of that. Some of us think that we don't deserve mercy. But I'm, not, you know, I'm not doing enough. I'm not good enough. What if I didn't do this? How, I did that wrong. I broke that. I, I messed it up. I'm totally broken. I messed up all these relationships. Or whatever. That's just the flip side. Right? Did you notice about the people of Nineveh? They didn't call out to God. They didn't clean up their act before he offered them mercy. He offers them mercy, and they accept it. Mercy falls on the giver, not the receiver. In fact, the greater the gift of mercy, the greater the, the less mercy is deserved, the greater it seems, the greater a gift See, mercy, the mercy of God is based on who he is, not on who you are or what you've done. And that's powerful stuff to understand. Whether you fall on the, hey, I'm, I'm pretty good, or I'm not good. He equalizes all of by, by grace paying for us to be right So let me, uh, we're going to have communion here. Just one of these is going to be this. In fact, we're going to get the people together and we'll right into that. Here, I'm just going to close with this prayer um, and encourage all of us to think more like the people of Nineveh and Justice. Let me offer you God, I ask you right now, Father, that uh, as we consider uh, what it's like to engage in understanding your mercy, Expressing it or knowing it for ourselves. I pray that we would just be like the people of Nineveh who, when uh, out of the blue, they hear that there is a way to be right with God. They 
with you. They want that. And they accept the mercy that you offer. And I just pray that at least at the next time we can begin there to accept your mercy, to enjoy the grace you provide, and be just amazed by your steadfast love, by your patience, and by the fact that you have done what it takes to, uh, to pay a penalty for us when we have We've gone against you, which is the ultimate. Lord, I pray that we have a few moments here to reflect on how you made that right with your son. In Jesus' name.